Today, you know, I, I feel like a man who's a tour guide on an Alaskan cruise. And I have a, a lot of you um, on the deck of the boat and you're looking out over the sea and there's icebergs all over the place and you are pointing to one little piece of ice sticking out of the ground and you are saying, what is that? And I happen to know that it is a little piece of ice that below there's a huge mountain of ice. And I'm trying to figure out how to describe to you what's going on today because there is an overwhelming amount of stuff going on. And my goal always is to try and help you to understand a little bit of what's going on, but then at the same time, can you open my phone? I got too much stuff in my hands. Thank you. There's just so much going on right now um, because I have to talk about what the Supreme Court did and I have to talk about it from a Catholic perspective, but I cannot ignore the readings. So here goes, and I ask for your forgiveness if I may be a little disjointed here and there trying to establish the, um, the connections. One, one, um, one just short, one short comment. I don't know if you all ever look at why the church chooses the readings that it does and puts them together. Like, for example, today we have Jesus um, who is uh, being rejected by the Samaritans. And of course, you might be wondering, well, why did they reject him? Well, I don't want to go into it too much, but there was a division between Samaritans and Jews because the Samaritans, although they were Jews, they felt like they had to be, uh, that the temple should not be in Jerusalem. The temple should be located somewhere in Galilee. And so they were in a huge fight. Um, and so when Jesus says, when Jesus is saying that he is on his way to Jerusalem, they say, fine, go to Jerusalem but you're not welcome here. And uh, you notice how the apostles, it's interesting because I, I found it very interesting to compare with what was going on then and what's going on now. Because notice what the apostles want to do immediately. They want to rain fire upon, uh, upon them. And it, it, it struck me that... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, we're supposed to be having this weekend of rage, uh, which happened because of the rejection of Roe versus Wade. And it struck me how similar it is, how divided we are still, that human beings will always be divided. I don't care what age, if you study history, human beings are always divided, and everybody always wants to rain down fire 
upon everybody else. But then, why did the church pick that read, that first reading, the first reading of Elijah and Elisha? And notice that Elijah says to Elisha, Elijah is a prophet, and he says, come and follow me. And Elisha is doing some tending uh, farm, and he he says, well, okay, I, I will do so, but first let me go and say goodbye to my father and mother. And it basically, Elijah says to him, okay, who's stopping you? And then he goes and says goodbye to his father and mother, and then he comes back, he slays the oxen, cooks the meat, and gives it to everybody, and then he goes and follows Jesus. Now, the reason the church put that there is because of the ending of the gospel. Did you notice that when Jesus, when somebody comes up, two guys come up to Jesus and say, I will follow you wherever you go. And then he says, but first let me go bury my father. And the second one says, but first let me go say goodbye. Now you notice that Elijah said, okay, but what did Jesus do? He said, no, no. What the church is, I'll speak a little bit more on this, but what the church is trying to do is to try to tell you when, you, when it comes to being, when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, there is absolutely no but first. Did you notice both of the men said that? I will follow you, but first. And what basically Jesus was saying is, no, there is no but first. Now, when Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead, you've got to remember that Jesus was using a lot of hyperbole. In the ancient world, there was a lot of hyperbole. I don't know if you remember, for example, one of the times that Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Well, we don't exactly have a tradition of amputees, you know, in the church, because the church has always understood that there is no excuse for sin. There's no, oh, I'm sorry, but first, or but, but, no. Jesus doesn't accept any of that. Now, it's interesting, because when I, when I was looking at these Gospels, I, I really understood a lot of what's going on with us here, especially the, the, um, this weekend in terms of the Roe v. Wade. And let me tell you what, what my diagnosis is. And it's not a hopeful diagnosis because I, I want you to... Let me put this my, my uh, phone in my pocket. Because I want you to understand that ultimately, <clears throat> no matter, and because we're constantly in the battle, okay? Jesus said to us, you are in the world, but not of the world. And you're constantly going to be battling. And I don't know if you noticed in the second reading, Jesus, I mean, Paul says, your freedom is not for the flesh. What Paul is talking about is not the flesh in terms of sexuality. 
That's not the issue. It can be, it can be included. But what Paul is talking about, he is saying that there is a distinction between behaving as a committed disciple of Jesus and following the guidance of the Holy Spirit in doing what is right and giving in and giving in to doing stuff as the world would have you do it. See, here's the problem, as the, the way I see it, and, and this is, I'm applying it to the, the abortion decision uh, and to everything else. The problem we have in the, in the world is that people think that, oh, that's just, you know, like for example, the prohibition of, um, of killing the unborn. People will say to you, oh, that's just religion. That's just religion. As if, if you have a religious viewpoint, basically that means that uh, you really didn't think about it. You are believing in something that has absolutely no evidence, and that is your choice. But you have absolutely no evidence. You're just being, quote, religious. Once somebody told me, you know, uh, when, what is the de when I asked him what's the definition of a religious truth, well, something that you have no proof of and you still believe it. And, and that is such a stupid, stupid definition of religion because it, 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 religion is not that. The Catholic Church does not ask you to check your reason when you enter into taking your faith seriously. You're supposed to use your head, your reason. When I was in the seminary, I never saw anybody get asked to leave the seminary because they asked questions, because they doubted, because they, they, they prodded. In fact, I saw the exact opposite. I saw men get asked not to come back to the seminary because they didn't want anybody to ask questions. They were, they were guys who would just say, if the church teaches it, shut up, don't ask questions, and believe it. And they were asked to leave because the Catholic Church understands that God gave us a mind and he gave us reason and that you're supposed to use your mind and your reason to seek God. And all the truths about God are not irrational. The truths about God are supra-rational, meaning that reason will only take you so far. And after reason, there are truths that are beyond reason that you can, reason alone cannot get to. But it's not like you're not supposed to use your reason to suspend questioning. So when the Catholic Church talks about uh, the human being beginning life as a human being at conception, we're not saying believe a religious truth as if it is a it is a religious truth, but it is a truth even independent of religion. And what, when, what a lot of people don't understand 
is that, for example, science today has come around in the, in the early 60s and late 50s, 60s, and early 70s, we had very little information about fetal development. But now, when science with ultrasounds and with all kinds of stuff that we're doing, science has come to see the humanity of the little child in the womb from the beginning of the, the fertilization of the egg. They have come to see that it is a consistent human being growing into the moment when he can have birth. And that's why science is really on the side of what the Catholic Church was saying from the very beginning. But we have just caught up with it. There's an old story of science, of scientists, of scientists climbing to the top of a, of a mountain to seek the truth. And just as they get to the top of the mountain, there's and there's a monk standing there looking at and going, hello, he's been there all the time. Because what, you know what I understand theology to be? I understand theology to be reasoned loyalty. Now think about that. Reasoned loyalty. I trust God, but at the same time, I ask questions and Every time I've done that, I've come to understand that the core of, the, of what the, the church teaches is correct. And it has been from the very beginning. Now, so what about how to interpret for us Catholics what happened this weekend with Roe v. Wade and the disbarment of Roe v. Wade? It is a victory. It is a victory, but not a significant one. It is a minor battle. Why do I say a minor battle? Because all we have done, and it's, I'm glad we did it, all we have done is curbed a significant symptom of the underlying disease. That's the iceberg that I was talking to you about. The symptom, the Roe v. Wade, was the nationalization of what belongs to the states. But ultimately, abortion is going to continue. Why is it going to continue? Because it's part of the disease. It's the symptom of the disease. And what's the disease? One of the things that the, the church teaches that I find, I find almost self-evident is the teaching that we have on original sin. I find it self-evident. Now, as many people understand original sin, no wonder a lot of people can't believe it. Why? Because people say to me, well, Father, how can you say that God condemned all of humanity because Eve ate an apple and gave it to Adam? Oh, for God's sake. That's why I tell people, I've been telling people lately, don't read the Bible. Just don't read it. If you're not going to study it, don't read it. Because you have to study it to understand what they're saying. It's kind of like, imagine, for example, imagine that I, I write down this sentence. It's raining cats and dogs, so we better burn some rubber and get downtown. 
Now imagine I take that little sentence and I put it in a time capsule. And 2,000 years from now, somebody opens up that time capsule and says, can you believe it? 2,000 years ago in Houston, Texas, cats and dogs would fall from the sky. And they used to achieve great speeds by burning rubber. What's wrong with that? They didn't understand how we talk. Anybody say, saying it's raining cats and dogs, you down here know that it means doesn't mean cats and dogs are coming down. Well, we got to do the same thing with the Jewish people. And so original sin, the eating of the apple, by the way, the, the Genesis does not say it's an apple. Genesis says it's a fruit. And it's the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, what does that mean? Is God punishing us for wanting to know the difference between good and evil? No. God had said, and remember, Genesis is a story. We're not talking about scientific truth here or historical truth. It's a story, kind of like the story of the little boy who cried wolf. If I ever, if I asked you, if I asked you, did the little boy who cried wolf ever exist? How would you answer? Well, you could say no, and I would ask you, how do you know? Could he have existed? Yes, he could have. Do you know? No, you don't. So then, is the story of the little boy who cried wolf a lie? Well, no, because even though we don't know the historical part of it, we do know what it does teach, and what it teaches is true. But if you scream too many times when nothing is wrong, no one will come to help you when you actually eat it. That is true, told in a story form. Adam and Eve, did they really exist? We don't know. The Catholic Church leaves it open. You can hold it literally or you don't have to. But does, it, does that mean that it's worthless? No, because the story is telling you a point. What's the point? In the garden... God places two trees, special trees. The tree of life, which Adam and Eve could go and eat from. They can eat from anything, but there's one tree that they cannot eat from. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because in the ancient world, the knowledge of something meant the, meant the control of what you knew. So if you knew good and evil, that would mean that you had control over good and evil. So if God said to you, thou shalt not do that, what the serpent said, you don't have to listen to him. You can decide for yourself what is good and what is evil. You can say, God, take a hike. We are going to make our own decisions about what is good and what is evil. And so Adam and Eve says, whoa, you mean we don't have to be obeying to him, right? We can do whatever we want. And the devil says, yes, you can. You want whatever you want. And so even Adam ate. And what's the only thing that they discovered? The devil was lying. The serpent was lying. What was that they discovered? That they were naked. 
You know that? You ever notice that? That's the, the, the only symptom that comes up. And my, the next sentence is my favorite in the Old Testament. There's God walking in the garden. And God says, Adam, Eve, where are you? And, and Adam says, uh, we were naked. And so we hid. Now the next sentence from God is precious. He says, who told you you were naked? Now just stay there for a second. When you're in the shower, do you need anybody to tell you you're naked? No. You know you're naked. So why did God ask, who told you you were naked? You know why? Because the nature, the whole concept of nakedness did not exist. Nakedness did not exist. And when Adam and Eve ate, they were so cut off from God that they looked down and said, what the heck is this? They had no idea. And so nakedness and shame entered into the world. You know, part of the proof that I have for that, it's not proof, but corroborating evidence, we are the only animals, we are animals, we are the only animals who have the concept of nakedness. Go home to your dog and say, put some clothes on, you're naked, okay? Or to your fish, or to any other animal in the entire animal kingdom. Who else has a concept of nakedness? Nobody. Why? Because it's a part of our disconnect from God. Now, what does this have to do with Roe v. Wade? A lot. What it has to do is that human beings are cut off from their, the, 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 the purpose of their lives. You know, I, I, what I always like to, to liken it to, imagine a hose hooked up to a very powerful uh, spigot of water, and the spigot is turned on, and it's connected on the other side to something else. Well, imagine that without turning the spigot off, you go and disconnect the this, this second side of the, of the hose, and you disconnect it, and you leave it disconnected. What's that hose going to do? It's going to go like, like that. That's exactly what you see in humanity. What you're seeing in humanity is the consequence of the human person disconnected from God. It is all over the place. We have no idea who we are. We have no idea where we came. We have no idea where we're going. We have no idea what is right or what is wrong. Half the nation believes one thing, the other half believes ten times other things, and all of us are eating each other alive. We're all, one of the philosophers of the Middle Ages said that humanity is in a constant war of all against all because we are disconnected from our original being. And what you have is the symptoms that come from that. The symptoms are called sin. Stop thinking of sin as a little, a little thing that you did and, and, and God went, ooh, bad, 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 bad. Sin is your character 
yourself all screwed up. It's, it's kind of like, have you ever worked on a computer that has a virus in it? Imagine a person whose the only experience of computing is a computer that is infected with a virus. They have never worked on a computer that has a clean system. They are not even going to know what a clean system is like because we have always been infected. That's what's going on in the human race. We are screwed up royally. We don't know who we are. That, why do you think everybody goes around saying, well, I'm looking for myself. I got to find my true self. What happened? Did you lose yourself? Yes, you did. Because you don't know who you are. And you, you're constantly saying something's missing. Something's missing. Yes, there is something missing. And you're not going to find it until you reconnect. By the way, just as an aside, some of, some of you may be new. Do you know where the word religion comes from? Religion. Religion comes from two words. Re, anytime you have re, it means do it again. Like repaint, rewrite, re-anything. Do it again. Ligion is a form of saying ligar, which means connect. So religion means reconnect. Why do you have to reconnect? Well, it presumes you were connected, but you got disconnected and now you've got to reconnect. Because if you were never connected, you could just say ligion instead of religion. Why? Because it's a recognition that the reason why humanity is so screwed up is that we're disconnected from what we should be connected to, the purpose that we have on God. Now, what has that got to do with Roe v. Wade? Because the underlying philosophy, the underlying philosophy, if you trace it down from the law, down, to rampant, irresponsible sexuality. Why do you need abortion? Because people are having sex outside of when they're supposed to be. Because people are re refusing to accept from God what God gives them. Because everybody who's disconnected from God is basically saying, my body, my choice. You want to know what the slogan that summarizes original sin is? My body, my choice. Because it's not your body. You didn't design it. You didn't construct it. You don't have any say as to when you get in or out unless you commit suicide. They, you don't have any. You have a little bit of, you have a little bit of control over your hair. I, I could wear a wig. But that's it. That's it. What's going on? You have at the center a disconnected human being who's engaging in all kinds of stuff all the way from illicit and, uh, and inauthentic sexuality to drugs, to overwork, to money, to popularity, all kinds, and these are all symptoms. They're all symptoms of the disconnect. So what have we done? Yes, we won a battle. Yes, we finally got Roe v. Wade to a level where we can discuss it among the states. But the underlying condition, the disease, is still there. Folks, 
we're still going to be in, in, in a situation where we have to proclaim pro-life. Only now, it'll be at the state level. <clears throat> we basically are in the same place, except that the battle has moved from the national level to the state level. So what can you do? I, 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 always, I always follow what a priest friend of mine said, that every homily should have three parts. What, so what, now what? And the now what is, <clears throat> there's nothing you can do to change the original sin. The sin of the origin. Only God can do that. All we can do is continue what I would call moral damage control. Moral damage control. And how do you do that? You do that by doing your best to give example. By living authentically your Christian life. By being informed. By studying your faith. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you're supposed to be a student of Jesus. A lot of the disciples of Jesus in the church would get an F because they don't study. They just go to church. And then they get mad when this homily is for too long. Right? Well, what do you expect? What do you expect if you don't study? How can you be a disciple, a student, if you go to class and draw and don't do anything? And so, friends, we have to continue to do the best that we can to be authentic disciples of Jesus. Only God can reverse this. Only what we can do is cooperate with God's grace in trying to do damage control, to do the best we can to do little bits and let God worry about the rest. I told you that the homily would be disjointed, and it was. But that's okay. That's what I got, and that's what you got. <laughs>